Hey, welcome to Hosanna. Whether you have been a part of our church for a long time or if this is the very first time you are joining us, so glad that you're here. And by the way, we don't think it's by accident. We believe the Lord led you here and has something specifically for you today. Uh, my name is Jason Anderson. I'm part of the preaching team. I'm also one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, if you are someone who has continued to faithfully give, thank you. When you give, it goes directly towards our mission, which is to help kids and students and adults look more like Jesus. And so if you want to give today or you want to set up reoccurring giving, all you have to do is text Hosanna Church to 77977. You will be sent a link where you can do exactly that. Uh, today, though, we are going to continue our series in the book of James that was started last week by pastors Ryan and Jen, and we are inviting you to join along with us. Uh, over the next month that we are going in this series, uh, we are going to be digging deeper into the book of James. So like our morning Facebook live devotions is all going to be in the book of James. And so whether or not you call Hosanna your home church, please join us as we work our way through this letter. And if you've ever read James, you know this, this is a fascinating letter. Starting with the fact that it was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now think about that for a second. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Messiah? A lot. Like, listen to his teaching, see him crucified on a cross for that teaching, see him die, see him buried in a tomb, but then back to life just a few days later, and you see him with your own eyes. That kind of a lot. That would convince me, and it certainly convinced James to the point where he became one of the major leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to believers who, some of whom are being persecuted pretty intensely. And they're, so they're, they're fleeing the persecution. They're scattered all over the place. So this letter is really designed for believers who are both gathered and scattered. Not unlike us, who are under persecution from a hostile COVID virus that is causing us to be a church that is both gathered and scattered as well. And what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is what James writes to the church back then is just as relevant to us today. Today, though, we're going to tackle chapter one. Um, not all of chapter one, partly because what James does is he uses chapter one as really a summary of everything else that he's going to talk about in the chapter. So he talks about things like how to have spiritual endurance and how to gain wisdom and how to face temptation, controlling our speech and being slow to get angry. And some of those things we're going to talk more about in the series to come. But in the section that we're going to look at today, uh, he touches on one more item that I'm just going to warn you now. It's going to hit pretty close to home for a lot of us, me included. And here's how I want to set it up. Uh, back when I was 13, I somehow convinced my dad to buy me a mini bike that one of our neighbors was selling, uh, an 80cc Suzuki. And I had never had a mini bike before. I'd never ridden a mini bike before. So I was learning how to work the clutch and shift the gears, you know, with my foot, that kind of thing. And not far from our house was a gravel pit that us kids had turned into a BMX track, which is essentially like a racetrack for your pedal bike. And before I went down there and I knew my friends were down there, this was, this was the first chance that I was going to get to show off my new mini bike. But before I left, my dad looked at me and said, okay, now if you're going to go to the pit, take it easy because you don't know the power of your mini bike yet. I listened, I nodded, and then I hit the throttle. 
I left my dad and I took it easy, but as soon as I was out of sight, I started, I just really took off. Working my way through the gears. And I got to the, I got to the gravel pit. I swear it must have been like 40 miles an hour. It may not have been that fast, but to a 13-year-old on a minibike without a speedometer, that's what it felt like. And I had a couple problems. Problem number one is that the entrance to the gravel pit was really bumpy. And so as I go in at that speed, I'm having a hard time controlling my mini bike. I'm actually sliding off the seat. It's so bumpy. And the more I slide, the tighter I'm gripping the handlebars. And the tighter I grip, the faster I'm going. I don't mean to, but I'm just naturally turning the throttle even more. My second problem is I'm heading right for a jump. And when I realized that, I have actually slid all the way off my mini bike seat. My stomach is bouncing on the seat, and it feels like my legs are flapping in the breeze behind me when I hit the jump. And again, to a 13-year-old, I'm guessing I was at least 10 feet in the air. And in a complete moment of panic, I just push away from the mini bike. And down I go, and I hit the ground, and I roll a couple of times, and thankfully nothing broken, just some scratches and bruises, mainly to my ego. But I, I look up just in time to watch my mini bike land perfectly, bounce a couple of times, slow down, and then gently tip over. And I look up at my friends, and they're laughing so hard they have tipped over. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take it easy now because I do not understand the full power of my minibike. Now here's my point. It, at some level, this story resonates with you because you have done what I did. And that is you listened to direction from a parent or you got wise advice from a friend or you listened to a sermon or you read something in the Bible or you read something in a book that you listened to, you nodded, and you may have even completely agreed with what you heard or read, but then you know what you did next. You completely disregarded or ignored what you heard, and it didn't end well for you. And we can do this in so many different areas of life. I mean, we know, we have been told by our doctor, countless health professionals, that exercise is really good for us. But yet, for so many, we have a hard time working this into our, into our schedule, and it could adversely affect our health. We know living with all kinds of debt is not a good financial plan long term, but yet, there are so many of us that continue to rack up thousands of dollars in credit card debt. We know that getting emotionally involved with someone who is not our spouse can not just hurt, but destroy our marriage. But yet, people do it all the time and it doesn't end well for us. That wise advice, that direction that we receive, the examples that we've seen, uh, good and bad from other people, we just disregard it and we ignore it. And it can hurt us personally, relationally, professionally, and even spiritually. And that's what James is talking about in the section that we're going to look at today. I mean, the same thing that we can do in almost every other area of life we can do when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so let's take a look at what James writes. And so if you have your Bible or you have your Bible app, go ahead and open that up. We're going to be starting in verse 22 of chapter 1. And before we take a look at what he says, let me just, a little context here. Right before this, 
James is imploring his readers, just get rid of the filth, get rid of the evil out of your life and accept the good news of Jesus. The good news being is that he died for you. More importantly, he rose again for you for the forgiveness of sins. James is saying, humbly accept this free gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers and begin to follow him. And then right after that, he quickly pivots and then begins to tell us what our lives should look like after that. So let's pick it up. This is verse 22. James says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. This is what James is known for, or at least what we know James for. Uh, he might have been an amazing evangelist. He might have gotten all kinds of people to follow Jesus. But in the only letter that we have from James, uh, this is what we know him as, the, the be obedient, do the right thing, get her done kind of guy. And it kind of makes sense because, again, he's the brother of Jesus. He heard all kinds of teaching from Jesus. He was there for the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And what James is saying here really just echoes what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Other translations say, and put it into practice is like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Meaning our faith was never designed to be just a, an intellectual exercise. It was never designed just to be a one and done decision. When we begin to follow Jesus, and that's not the finish line of our faith, that is the starting line of our faith. James reiterates that later in the letter when, when he says this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And just to be clear, James is in no way suggesting that we are saved by doing good deeds. He's not saying that. He's starting with faith in Jesus Christ. Once our faith is in Jesus, the natural outcome of that should be good deeds. And so central to James' thinking is this, this idea is that it leads him to make a statement that sounds really odd. When he says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. That doesn't make any sense. I don't think anybody forgets what they look like. I mean, well, when I look in a mirror, I wish there were things that I could forget, but I can't. Instead, I think we are awfully self-centric. I mean, think about it. If you are in a group photo and you come around to take a look at the photo, who's the first person that you look at? Be honest. It's you. And another person in the photo can walk over and look at themselves in the picture and they might say, oh, I don't like the way I look. And of course, you're naturally going to respond, no, you look great. Even though you haven't even looked at that person because you're so fixated on, oh, my hair, or I don't like that angle, or I didn't get my pose just right. And if you're a guy, it's, oh, I didn't suck my gut in enough. 
But that's kind of James' point, I think. Like, we, ne- we, we don't forget what we look, when we look like when we glance in a mirror. But I think James is trying to make a point in that. Now, this is just me. Again, he heard a lot of Jesus' teaching, and I think he's taking a page out of Jesus' playbook, meaning Jesus spoke in parables. He often spoke in hyperbole, and I think James is doing the same thing here. In other words, in his mind, he's going, of course people don't forget what they look like when they see themselves in the mirror. And of course, there's no way you can have listening without doing. You can't have one without the other. So the question is, why is this such a challenge? Now, uh, we can give ourselves a little bit of grace here because this has been a challenge for thousands of years. I mean, if Jesus had to highlight it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if James had to address it a couple different times in his letter, yeah, it's been a challenge, and it's still a challenge today. And for some of you, that's why you left the church. It's because you knew someone who claimed that they were a Christian, but the way they lived didn't look at all like what they said they believed. And for those of us that have been in church for a long time, we know this is a challenge because chances are we know a couple that heard all kinds of sermons on how to have a great marriage, but yet their marriage failed. Or we know a family whose kids, they just grew up in church, kids ministry, student ministry. They heard about God's plan for their life, but sadly, maybe they got derailed by addiction to alcohol or drugs. We know a successful business person that heard sermons on integrity and what leadership meant through the eyes of Jesus, but yet he or she did something morally or ethically wrong that got them removed from leadership. And I've talked with some of these folks over the years, and often their response is very similar. They'll say when everything blew up, when when their sin came to light, when they were beginning to experience the consequences of their sin, God brought to mind that sermon on marriage. Or God brought to mind those verses on integrity and servant leadership. In other words, they listened, they nodded, but they didn't do it. They didn't put it into practice. And I think the question we have to wrestle with is why? And the time that we have left, I want to talk about why we can be so good at listening but really struggle with doing. And as I've sat with this, I think it really boils down to two things. Fundamentally, it's either an issue of faith or an issue of fear. And so let's talk about faith. More specifically, it's a lack of faith. And for some of you, this makes sense because maybe you're newer to faith or maybe you're just exploring Christianity. And so when we open up the Bible and we use it as our authoritative guide for life, you may hesitate to jump in with both feet. And it makes sense for where you are on the spiritual journey. By definition, it's a lack of faith. But for those of us that have followed Jesus for a while, chances are there are gaps between listening and doing. And the, the reason why the gap exists in part could be because it is a lack of faith. Meaning, do we really believe that God's way is the best way to live? Do I really believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And I'll give you an example. One of the bigger examples for a lot of us is money. How to handle money God's way. Uh, At least it was for my wife Amy and I early in our marriage. Uh, At the time, we were living like anybody else. And we heard this teaching that said, we are really just stewards 
of what is God's. Like we don't own anything. It really belongs to God. It comes from God. We don't own it. We're not taking it with us when we die. It's all gonna stay here. That really challenged us. And then we heard that God asks us as stewards to bring back 10% of what he is entrusted to us back to him. And I can tell you at the time, man, we weren't giving 10%. We weren't tithing at all. So it was really challenging. We lived like anyone else. We had this mentality that said, well, what's mine is mine. And the goal is to get as much of it as I can to be spent on me. And then we heard the promise that goes to people who do tithe, that bring 10% back to God through the local church. And these are from the words of Jesus. When he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Now we had a choice. There was a gap between what we were hearing and what we weren't doing. And man, I can tell you, after a lot of conversation, a lot of prayer, we even read another book on the subject. And eventually we got to the point where we just decided we were going to put trust in the gap even though it made no sense on paper. I mean, at the time, we, we were living on one income, three kids under the age of five, two school loans, a used car loan, and several thousand dollars in credit card debt. But yet, we began to tithe. We put trust in the gap. And I can tell you, we saw God show up in amazingly obvious ways. Amazingly obvious, to the point where we had our school loan uh, school loans, the, the used car loan, and the credit card debt all paid off in two and a half years. We also practiced sound biblical principles like found in Financial Peace University, and we got everything paid off in two and a half years. We experienced this promise that Jesus makes, but I can tell you it wasn't all monetary. It wasn't. Part of the blessing was peace. There was no more arguing over money because we were on the same page, heading the same direction. Another blessing was contentment. We were content with who we are and what we had. And the biggest blessing was being able to set up our kids to live the same way. What is it for you? Where is there a gap between what you're hearing and how you're living? We all have gaps. And as you look at your life, the reason that gap may exist is because of a lack of faith. Do do I really believe that God's way is the best way to live? Do I really believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do? That's the first reason why a gap can exist. Second reason is fear. And what I mean by that is <laughs> the pull of culture is so strong on our life. Like, like, like the, the current of culture, sometimes it's just easier to float along with it and just live the way that everyone else lives. But yet we, hear, uh, we see the way Jesus lived and the way that he wants us to live, and it feels like we're swimming upstream sometimes, oftentimes. And when that happens, instantly attention is created. Again, a gap is there between what we're hearing and the way that we're living. And where fear comes into play is that we can be really good at playing the movie forward. Like we can see the ripple effects of what this change would mean, how hard the change will be for us, what other people will think about if we make this change, and it can cause fear. A lot of change can cause fear in us. It, it, can, 
It can cause a spouse to be afraid to go to the other spouse to talk about the change that they know that the two of them need to make. It can be, make someone scared to, what's the peer group going to think of me if I just make the decision, I'm not going to gossip anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk bad about anyone anymore, but what is the group going to think if I don't join in? It can con- cause fear to someone if they go to their family and say, I'm a follower of Jesus now. It can cause fear of what the reaction will be or how we'll be perceived if we go and ask forgiveness from somebody. Uh, not long ago, I got an email from uh, a former coworker of mine and uh, this person asked if we could get together and meet. And this person said that they were rereading The Purpose Driven Life and they got to chapter 20 and the title of that chapter was Restoring Broken Fellowship. And the person said, really the whole gist of the chapter is who do you have broken fellowship with that needs to be restored? And this person said they wrote my name in the margin. And the reason they did that is because I let this person go from a staff position at my former church. And as I read this person's email, as you can imagine, I just started thinking about how hard it was for this individual to write this. I mean, the pain, the sadness, the anger when someone is let go. It probably wouldn't have been much easier just to say, it's okay that our paths never cross again because after all, it had been years since we had spoken or seen each other. But yet, this individual did not let the potential uncomfortableness of this conversation to stop them from doing what God had impressed on their heart. I can tell you that it wasn't an easy email for me to receive. As I'm reading it, immediately, immediately, I feel like the Holy Spirit just laid in my heart what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Just as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And now I had an opportunity to bring peace to a broken relationship. But that doesn't mean I wasn't afraid. After all, this person's being let go was as much my failure as theirs. I mean, I could have been a better supervisor, a better communicator, a better leader. And as much as I trusted this person's character, I still didn't know what their true motivation was. I didn't know if they wanted to verbally beat me up or not. It would have been easy for me just to write an email back going, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for responding to the prompting that God put on your heart. But this really shows me who you are, your character. So we're good. We don't need to get together. Thanks for reaching out. Have a good life. Blessings. Bye. That may have taken away my fear, but that wouldn't have closed the gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it. And so we met and we talked. I confessed my failure as a leader and as a friend, and this person conducted themselves with such grace and truth. And it ended with a restored relationship. Now, if either one of us had allowed fear from preventing us from getting together, we would have missed out on the benefit of obedience. That's what fear does. It, it, It stops us from experiencing the benefit of obedience. 
And in this case, it was a restored relationship, but it can be any number of things. It could mean a deeper friendship. It could mean a stronger marriage. It could mean better parenting. It could be maintain sobriety. It could be less conflict. It could mean getting away from people that you know are bad for you. At the very least, it means a clean conscience. In other words, even if you do what you feel like God is asking you to do, it's not always gonna turn out the way you want it to, but at least you can rest easy knowing you did what you were asked to do. But then again, that's what James says will happen. Again, take a look at what he writes. He says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. When we look into the perfect law, when we read God's word, we look at how Jesus lived and the way that he wants us to live and we internalize it and then we start to do it. That's where freedom and blessing is found. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the consequences of sin. Freedom from guilt and shame and regret. And that's where blessing is found. The blessing of peace and contentment and self-control and patience and goodness. We have to ask ourselves a question. Are we going to allow a lack of faith or fear to continue to create gaps in between listening and doing? Or are we going to live in freedom and blessing? So before I'm done, I just, I got to ask the question, where are the gaps for you? Like, where are they? I mean, think honestly because chances are we all can come up with at least a couple. And then the real work is why are they there? Is it a lack of faith? Is it, do I really believe that God is gonna do what he says he's going to do? Do I really believe it is the best way to live? Or I'm, am I afraid? Am I afraid of what the change is gonna to mean to me? How, how big that change is gonna be? Am I afraid of what other people are gonna think of me when I change? And as you're thinking about this, I want you to remind yourself of something. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that power lives in you, helping you, guiding you to put trust in the gap instead of a lack of faith, giving you the power to put uh, courage in the gap instead of fear, because that is where freedom and blessing is found. Now, is it always gonna be easy? No. Uh, it, will our friends or family members always approve of what we're doing? No. Is it always gonna turn out well? No, it's not. But is it worth it? Absolutely, every time. Because we will be in the center of God's will, doing what he's asking us to do, becoming the people that he wants us to become. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clarity that your word brings. Thank you that you are for us, that you want us to live with blessing and freedom 
But Lord, help us, help us put trust in the gap. Help us have courage to overcome our fear because it's there and it's real. So Lord, help us turn our attention towards the people you want us to become. Keep us focused on that freedom and blessing that you want for us and not get tripped up by the lack of faith or fear. Because Father, ultimately, it's for your glory. And while we may experience some benefits of obedience, it is to reflect your name to those around us. So Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Now as a reminder, as a reminder, uh, in just a moment, some questions are gonna come up on the screen and we just invite you to have a conversation with your people, hopefully the people that you are watching with, whether that's your spouse, your family, your community group, just friends sitting in a backyard, whatever it may be, because transformation happens best when we're with other people. Otherwise, thanks for being with us. Come on back next week as we continue this series in James. God bless. We'll see you next week.